Hi everybody, you're listening to The Woke Podcast with Fox and Maya. Thanks for supporting the show. This is a show with adult content, so if you're not of legal age where you live, then turn off now. This podcast is about rope bondage. Rope bondage is edge play with inherent risk. We strongly recommend you get proper training and listen to our episode zero on safety and consent in rope before attempting it. Find it at the top of our FetLife page, Rope Podcast. Fox is a rigger and Maya is a bottom. We are long-term rope partners who live in Bangkok, Thailand. We love to share our passion for rope with the wider community. Today's episode is sponsored by you, our lovely listeners. Thank you so much for our patrons who make this podcast possible by supporting some of the costs. If you'd like to help us make more Rope Podcast episodes, please go to ropepodcast.com and visit our Patreon. Marceline BQ is an internationally recognized shibari artist whose work challenges viewers with aesthetic and technically complex rope work. She engages rope from all perspectives, as a model in her own rope, with other models in her rope, and as a model in others' rope, allowing for a deeper understanding of the medium as a creative and connective tool. She adores the sensory experience of being in rope, as well as the idea of becoming human sculpture. Her work engages in conversation with themes from quantitative disciplines, including geometry and physics, and with themes from qualitative disciplines, including analytic philosophy and universal empathy. She has studied with Shibari communities across the globe and is classically trained in visual fine arts. Marceline is based in New York City, USA, and with her co-creator and model, Anya Demure, works to create rope imagery that is surprising and inventive. Hi, Marcy. Welcome to the Rope Podcast. Hi, great to be here. <laughs> to get us uh, started, Marcy, can you tell us how you got started with rope bondage in the first place? Um, okay, so I began when I was 19 years old. I uh, found the uh, kink community through FetLife. Uh, so I had always sort of been interested in BDSM, uh, but I didn't really know how to explore it. I was kind of bad at finding partners just, uh, you know, sort of randomly through dating. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I just did a Google search one day for BDSM community and FetLife was the first result and I made an account. Um, and I started exploring from there. And the first person I met through FetLife was interested in rope. Um, but he was interested in rope in the way that, um, he had seen a couple of YouTube videos and had bought some rope from the hardware store and he didn't really know what he was doing. And I was looking through FetLife and I was like, Hey, there are these classes for rope bondage. Let's go to one together. Um, and the first class we went to, there was a, a visiting person from out of town who did a demo, uh, in this class. And I remember, uh, you know, that this person and their partner, they hadn't really known each other well before this demo scene. Um, and they were a little awkward beforehand, but the scene that they did together was so sensual and beautiful. And by the end, uh, this girl was like purring in that guy's lap. And, uh, and it was, it was beautiful to see. And I sort of fell in love with it from there. Mm-hmm. When you saw that, uh, first demo at the class, do you remember if you, felt more like being the person being tied and experiencing that or being more the person tying at the time? 
So I came into the kink scene as just a bottom. Um, I wasn't really interested in topping or in dominating or anything. Um, but I did immediately sort of get a sense of like real, uh, it, it felt like a puzzle to me tying, um, like, like it's just a very like tactile sort of, um, how do I say, uh, yeah, it's just, it's just kind of exciting to like figure out how to do it. And that part always appealed to me from the first class. Mm. Um, and I think, uh, the, my partner at the time didn't really, uh, get it as quickly as I did. And so I was getting a little frustrated, like, just <laughs> let me do it. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Uh, and do you remember at what point you sort of pivoted from only wanting to bottom to actually trying topping with rope? Uh, yeah, I think that sort of happened gradually for me. Um, I, when that partner and I broke up, I didn't really have a partner to do rope with, but I was still interested in doing rope. And so that's when I started self-tying. Um, and I did that for months, like really just practicing by myself, seeing what I could make, improvising, stuff like that. Um, and when I actually did get new partners and was able to like tie with other people again, uh, I had already kind of learned enough and developed enough of an interest in tying on myself that I continued with it with other people. Mm. And so how is rope different for you now in those different uh, rope, rope roles? So uh, being the person who's tying, being the person in the ropes and self-suspending or self-tying. Yeah, um, they're all really different headspaces for me. Uh, to be honest, in terms of sexuality and relationships, I am still pretty much just a bottom. Um, and so the only time, well, most of the time, I should say, um, that rope is going to turn sexual, it's going to be uh, me as the bottom for me. Um, as a top, it's more of a creative exercise. Uh, it's it can be sort of a fun way of connecting with a friend or, you know, a way to be silly or exploratory or something like that. Um, and it's also a way that I, you know, create imagery and photos and pieces of art. Um, and self-suspending, self-suspending is sort of, is the one I do least now. Um, I, I do it, some, I guess a little bit during the pandemic because of isolation and whatnot, but, um, but I, I do it fairly infrequently. And, um, I think it was self suspension was a really beautiful thing for me to do as I was first getting involved in rope and first learning a lot. Um, and when I had limited resources, uh, but now that I'm sort of a little bit more established, um, I think it's it's just a very difficult thing to do. It's it takes a lot of energy and uh it's very hard. Um <laughs> and uh I tend to only do self suspension if there's a purpose in mind, for example, a photo or a video, something like or performance. In terms of the feeling, self suspension for you is more like bottoming, more like topping, or is it a different animal altogether? It's it's neither and both. Um it's definitely not more one than the other. Uh It's, I think, um, I get some of the relaxation sort of, uh, sinking into it sensations that you get from bottoming, but you can't really let go in the way that you can with bottoming, right? Because you always do have to still be in control. Like 
Like whenever I'm self-suspending, I have to remind myself, Hey, you need to preserve enough energy to get yourself down. Mm -hmm. Um, and that's not something you necessarily, not in the same way, at least do you need to do with bottoming or topping, right? Cause you're not expending the same kind of physical energy when you top either. Speaking of energy and needing to get yourself down, have you had any close calls or scary moments in self-suspending? In self-suspending, um, I think once or twice there was, I, I was thankful that there were times that I was in a, a room with a lot of other people. Um, and I think someone maybe had to like lift me up for a minute to help me untie something. But um, I've been pretty fortunate that nothing terribly dramatic has happened to me. But we'd still strongly recommend having a spotter mm -hmm. or other people present when we do this sort of thing, right? Yes, absolutely. I, uh, I'm not a perfect person and I've done self suspensions in, uh, times when there wasn't anyone around to help me. Um, and like I said, I've been very lucky, but it's not something I would recommend. Okay. And how do you collaborate with others for rope? Because with the number of different, uh, types of roles you can take, um, they seem to give you a lot of flexibility. That's true. Um, so my main rope partner, uh, her name is Anya Jumior. We work together in Brooklyn, um, and she's sort of my, my creative partner. Um, we call each other our artners. Um, and, uh, um, she, she's a bottom, so I top her, uh, and she's the person I work with the most. But in terms of finding tops to play with or finding other bottoms, um, I guess it's, it's kind of funny because when people see you project a certain thing on the internet, they think that's kind of the only thing you're about. And so I, most of what I post is, uh, my own rope. So me topping. Um, and so people kind of have a sense that that's most of what I do or most of what I prefer. Um, and so it's, it's sort of a, it's always sort of a roll of the dice when someone asks me, to play because uh, most of the time they're going to be asking me to tie them. But sometimes there's sort of a strange um, like power grab. I, I don't know how to describe really, but, but I I've had tops approach me wanting to tie me, but as sort of an ego thing of like, Oh, I tied this person who doesn't usually bottom or this person who's really good at rope. And somehow that makes me a better top to have tied them or something like that. Um, So yeah, I've, I've learned to sort of approach, uh, pick a play or new, new rope partners very cautiously. Um, and I do, I am thankful to have a lot of people that I already know and trust to tie with. Um, so, so I do less of that these days. <laughs> and one of the things that you've talked about is the idea of human sculpture in rope. I wondered if you could tell us a bit more about that. Yeah. So a big, um, facet of my kinks is objectification. Um, I really appreciate from both the bottom side and actually from the top side. Um, I really like the idea of turning a person into something that's not a person. Um, and in rope, that idea manifests in this idea called human uh, sculpture, which I told you about. Um, and so, uh, the way that I see rope as an art form, is like sculpture, like, like the human body is the clay that you're working with and you can mold it into sort of any shape you want using rope. Um, and that does, uh, that, that's 
an artistic idea and it's a philosophical idea, but it's also sort of a sexual idea for me. Hey guys, this is Fox coming in for a short break. Listeners like you make this podcast possible. We want to continue making this podcast for you for a long time. And to do that, we need your support. Please go to ropepodcast.com to buy rope video lessons from experts so we get a small commission on your purchase at no extra cost to you. In addition, a really great way to help us is donating on Patreon. A one-time amount or a monthly pledge that can be as little as the cost of your morning coffee makes a big difference to us. And you will gain cool perks like behind-the-scenes photos and the ability to vote on future podcast topics. Go support us on ropepodcast.com because you love rope too. When you use that idea in play, so less on the art side and more on the kink, sexual, playful side, have you found particular points of attention for the negotiation and the aftercare when you're going to turn a person into an object? Yeah, so for me, um, I find that um, we talk about connection a lot in rope and in rope scenes. Um, And I find that when I do this sort of objectifying kind of play, it's a little less connective in the traditional sense, right? So it's a little less sensual and close in and like, I'm always touching you and I'm like being very like gentle with you or, or like, or not even gentle. It can be very rough, like the connective sort of stuff, but this is sort of removed. Um, so it's less touching. Um, it's less, uh, emotion being, um, being given to the bottom in a lot of ways. Um, it's right because you don't have to uh, care about the emotions of an object. Um, so, so I think I do, that is a very specific experience that not everyone wants to have. Um, and so that is, if, if I'm trying to do something like that in rope, that is something I have to be very explicit about in negotiations. How would you approach it with a new person who's not done that type of play before? To be honest, that's not the kind of play that I would do with someone the first time tying with them. Yeah. Um, unless they had like very specifically expressed an interest to do that sort of play. Mm. Um, that's the sort of thing that, uh, I would do with someone that I've either played with a couple times in a much more casual context or that we have a, um, and a preexisting romantic or sexual relationship with. I think there's a really interesting piece there around, for me anyway, when I want objectification play, I want to have negotiated that fact. So I don't want to be treated like an object by someone in a non-purposeful way. Um, yes. I want them to have negotiated that with me for us to have some kind of connection. And then I'm comfortable with that person objectifying me. Whereas perhaps paradoxically, if someone did that off the bat, I would actually think, well, I don't want to play with you because you don't want to play with me. I don't know what your thoughts are on that. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, this is something I talk about with any kind of kink play really is like intention is like the most important thing because almost any action that you could do to me or that I could do to you or whatever um, could be interpreted as sexy for me or it could be interpreted as like, oh, fuck you for me, right? Um, it really depends on if it was intentionally done or not. Like I another one of my big kinks is denial. Um, and so it can be really hot for me for someone to like 
not get me off, for example. Um, but if I'm just like hooking up with some random vanilla guy and they don't get me off, that's obviously not going to do it for me because that was not intentional. Um, but, but yeah, if it's, if someone is very explicit that like, this is the context we're working in and this is what I'm trying to do to you. Um, that's when it works for me. As a top, how would you say you make your intention clear to your partner? Because as you said, it's very important that the intention is expressed. So how would you express or emote that intention to the person you're tying with? Well, if I have an idea of where I want a scene to go beforehand, um, that's something I would bring up in the pre-negotiation, of course. Um, I do prefer if I'm going to be getting into heavier stuff like this, um, that I, that it's with a person who kind of already knows what I'm about and I know what they're about. So there aren't going to be any major surprises. Um, but I also do think that sometimes the vibes can shift during a scene and it's not for everyone. I fully understand, but I don't mind letting uh, letting us see where that takes us. If we're, if in the middle of a scene, we decide that something feels right. And that's a tricky one because sometimes words aren't the best way to communicate that if you're in a heightened headspace, like during a scene. Um, so it is very, it is sort of towing a really delicate line to make sure that you're in the right, uh, that, that you're both on the same page at, at all the time. And to be honest, because of the, the ways that I play, that becomes, more of a concern for me when I'm bottom than when I top most of the time. So I'm interested, you've, you've talked about both um, playing and scening uh, and the more kink side of things and also the art side of things. So what do you feel the difference for you between um, doing some kind of artistic scene or making a piece of art with rope and uh, play, if there is one? Yeah, no, they feel completely different to me. When I'm, when I'm doing art, when I have, when I like, I'm just working to create an image, uh, or a video or something, um, I am not concerned with how my bottom is feeling. Um, obviously I'll check in with them. I will like make sure that they're doing okay, but it's not really about their own experience. It's about the, uh, the image that we are creating together to project outward. And that's actually, a big difference in how I generally tie with my partner, Anya. Um, but, but, uh, for a performative aspect in general, um, I think that a lot of the time with more traditional rope bondage, where you have sort of a dominant top tying a submissive bottom, for example, um, the, the direction of energy is very much the top is doing something to the bottom, right? Like that's where the energy is going. It's going from the top to, to the bottom, um, the intention, the action, etc. cetera. Uh, the way that Anya and I tie is really not like that at all. It's very, it's much more collaborative. Uh, it's, it's us exchanging ideas. And when it's a, when it's a performance, we're exchanging ideas and then projecting them outward away from both of us. Uh, and yeah, sorry, when you're, um, when you're doing a creative project with Anya, what is your creative process and how do the ideas for what you're going to do usually surface? Um, so usually how it starts is one of us will have a sort of a broad concept in mind and we will, 
um, you know, kind of play with it in our heads for a little while. Like, for example, this um, recent performance that we did for Nuit de Cord, mm-hmm. um, this, uh, the idea of like sort of stop motion uh, animation with rope was something I had been uh, throwing around in my brain for a little while before that. And I got the idea to do it in the context of a video choreographed to a song. Um, and so we played with some like broad concepts for a little while, like sort of what's the story going to be? What, um, uh, you know, what, what are the intentions behind this? How is it going to look? Things like that. Um, and then once we have a more general idea, we go, to the rig and we start playing around and seeing like what we can make that will look good. Um, and that's, that's at this point more improvisational. We don't have like a plan in, in place. Um, but, uh, so then once we do, we do a couple like practice rounds like that. Um, and from there, at least for this piece, we did some serious choreography. Like this was really tightly choreographed. Um, and, and then from there, it's a couple rehearsals. It's getting, uh, music and costumes and you know lighting and things like that together um and then we go to the performance <laughs> um when, actually when you do generally a performance like that do you feel you're primarily doing it for the audience or primarily doing it for you um i don't think you can really separate those um i think that a performance has to be for the audience otherwise it's not a performance um So that part is just a prerequisite mm-hmm. for me. Um, but that doesn't mean that the things I'm doing, I'm doing because I think other people will want to see them. Um, like I do think that the way that we build performances is like what we would want to see, not necessarily what we think like the general population would want to see. Okay, you don't have um, a focus group you go to to tell me what you <laughs> like in open, I'm gonna make that. Yeah, we actually hire people by the minute to give our therapy. <laughs> I think um, if you just give them bagels, like you can just pick them <laughs> from the street, right? Yeah, but that's the problem is we say if you like our performance, we'll give you a bagel and then everyone yeah. likes our performance. <laughs> Bias. Bias is an issue. Yeah. Um, but yeah, no, it's actually um, sort of funny uh, because I do think that some of the stuff we do we probably are losing some audience because of some creative choices that we make. So uh, I, I think it has to always be a balance of like what you feel in your heart you should be doing and, and not sort of losing sight of the outside world. And you're not trying to support yourself financially through that, right? So you have a lot more freedom than if you were dependent on it. Yes. Yeah. I have a day job. Anya also has a day job and this is, we do do it for money and, and we enjoy doing that, but uh, it is not our primary source of income. I wanted to ask a bit about the installation art piece because, um, or installation art more generally, uh, for a lot of people, I'm not, I think we're, we have a vague idea of what installation art might be, but we're not totally sure. Um, so I wanted to ask, what is it and uh, what kind of pieces have you created? Yeah, absolutely. Um, so installation art, uh, sort of writ large, uh, is really just a kind of art piece or sculpture or almost set design it can turn into. Um, for me, installation is a kind of art piece that you can uh, be inside of. Um, so it's not a sculpture that you look at like behind a velvet rope or whatever. Um, 
it is a piece that you become a part of when you enter it. Uh, and that's the part of it that really appeals to me is, um, is that it's an experience. It's not something that you can take a picture of or, you know, post on Instagram and it'll like feel the same as, as actually being there. Um, so rope installation in particular, I think really lends itself to this sort of idea because rope, if, as you know, if you've done any rope before, uh, rope really, um, changes its properties when it goes on a person or when it's under tension. Right. Um, so, uh, when you put yourself onto a, an installation or when you start touching it or pushing around on it or moving it in any sort of way, it changes shape and properties. And that's really the idea that I um, go for more than anything else when I'm doing rope installation is I want to create something that um, that is incomplete without a viewer, if that makes sense. Um, so, so the only way that this piece is, uh, is, is its like final form is when someone is inside of it, interacting with it and becoming part of the piece itself. Can you describe for us an example of one you've done you felt was fairly successful? Yeah. So at, uh, Ropecraft, I want to say it was 2017 or 2018. Um, so they had invited me to do an installation piece, uh, that was, um, in this very big cube structure that they had. I think it was like an eight foot, eight foot cube. Um, and they invited me to come and make this installation. And, um, that was actually the, the piece that sort of had the most planning, uh, for me beforehand. Uh, so we had like diagrams and everything, uh, written up. And, um, I constructed it, uh, sort of in front of everyone as everyone was like mingling at the beginning of the, uh, at the beginning of the con. And, uh, um, and so it stayed up for the whole weekend and we did, you know, some shoots and whatever in it. But, uh, um, that was not something where everyone was allowed to like jump on it and climb on it and everything, but it was certainly able to withstand people being on it and lying on it. Um, and so that was the piece where I think I've had the most freedom to really explore these ideas. Um, and, and I can share pictures of that if you like. Um, yeah, that's very lovely. Maya will add that to the, the show notes. So you created something with rope that other people were then able to go and interact with. Yes. Um, I don't think they were allowed to actually go and climb on it, but they were able to touch it and, you know, sort of see it from all angles and I think step inside of it even. Mm, um, yeah. Uh, and, um, my, my sort of dream project that I would love to realize at some point is sort of an entire room, um, of rope installation that is kind of like a jungle gym slash trampoline. Mm -hmm. Um, So everyone is allowed to, you know, uh, climb on it, interact with it, hang from the rafters, you know, whatever. Um, that's, that's sort of, uh, the, the end result of everything I want to do. That sounds really cool. You should definitely yes, do that. Yes, I would love to do it. <laughs> yes. <laughs> uh, Marcy, if I remember correctly, uh, in fact, I'm pretty sure because uh, I attended one of your classes on the subject, you have oh. a background in physics. So I assume I more of a scientific education. How does that side of you enter into the mix of the play, the art, and then the science? 
Yeah. Okay. So uh, just a little bit of background. I am a graduate student in physics. Um, I am finishing up my PhD at the moment. Um, so science is a big part of my life and it's a big part of the way that I think and approach things. Um, and, uh, yes, I do teach a class called the physics of rope bondage. And, uh, in this class, that's essentially, um, what you would learn in an introductory physics class, but all of the examples are rope instead of like inclined planes and like balls rolling down hills and things like that. Um, and that's just, that's a lot of fun for me because I get to nerd out, um, and everyone pays attention. <laughs> yeah. And I but, can tell you as someone who attended that class, it was fun for me too. And I highly recommend it. Oh, thank you so much. Um, yeah, so that one's really great because I do feel that, uh, with that class in particular, if you are someone who has been doing rope suspension for a little while, um, most of the things I tell you in that class are not going to be new information for you. They're not going to be a surprise because you already have a sense for like how weight distributes and how momentum, um, is directed and things like that, uh, just by your muscle memory and by, by having done this a while. So the thing that I feel that I'm doing in that class is just giving a different vocabulary for the things that we already like intuitively know. Um, when it comes to, uh, physics playing into my art uh this same installation that i was talking about before uh the one at ropecraft um the shape of it itself was heavily inspired by geometric and mathematical ideas um it's actually uh based on the uh the structure of a simple knot um a mathematical knot i should mm -hmm. say in knot theory um And so, uh, so it's, it's mathematically, um, identical to the Ouroboros rings, if you know. Absolutely. Uh, yeah. Um, the, the so I, eating his own tail. Um, is it the Ouroboros? No, I'm sorry. Baromian rings. Baromian, Baromian rings. Okay. Um, which is just three rings linked together in such a way that if you took out any one of the three, then the other two would be unlinked. Mm. Um, So, uh, which is the same thing as sort of just a, a simple overhand knot, um, but it's represented in different ways. Um, yeah, the Baromian rings. Thank you. Um, so, uh, I like to put ideas of geometry and like math and physics into the imagery of my work as well. Um, I'm, I'm really just creatively very inspired by geometric art, like Islamic art, um, or things like that. I just think it's really beautiful and, holds a really, I think there's a lot of power in simplicity and that's what I see in geometry a lot of the time. And how, uh, how does geometry and physics influence your, uh, bottoming if at all? How does it? That's a great question. Um, like I said, I think a lot of physics concepts are things that we as rope practitioners know intuitively. Um, But having the context and the, the vocabulary of like, when I'm redistributing my weight, what I'm doing is changing my center of gravity or et cetera. Um, I think having that, that vocabulary is useful to conceptualize what you're doing, but I don't think it changes what you're actually doing. Mm -hmm. Um, I think, I think a lot of the time, Um, letting your body figure out the right place it's supposed to be is going to work better than trying to like, 
make your brain figure it out. Mm -hmm. Any thoughts to using a physics simulator on a computer to like plan out or prototype complicated suspensions? I actually did have an idea recently. Um, so I'm, I recently have started learning the uh, 3D rendering software Blender, uh -huh. um, which if you don't know anything about is a really, really cool open source software um, that's very powerful. Um, and so my thought was to my, in my current um, studio space is just a part of my bedroom and it's a pretty small confined space. Um, so I had a thought to just reconstruct my bedroom in Blender um, and create sort of a 3D model, a size accurate 3D model of myself that I could just reposition in various uh, ways on the computer. You can calculate all the possible intersections of the shape of your body <laughs> with the shape of your room. Exactly. Um, so it's kind of a cute idea that I haven't gotten around to yet, but I think it would be fun. Awesome. Well, if you ever get around to doing that, we'd love to see it. <laughs> yes. Oh, definitely. I'll, I'll be showing it for sure. And what have been the biggest challenges that you've faced in Rope? Um, I think honestly, the challenges I've faced have been less in tying in particular and more in terms of the community and the ways that I present myself to the world. Um, I think we all know that there's been a lot of conversations about sort of how the rope community operates um, in these online spaces and, and what it means to be sort of someone who's very visible online. And there have been times that I've gotten a little carried away with my ego or um, sort of a thirst for attention or things like that, where I've had to tell myself, no, take a step back and remember what's important for you. Uh, and that's something I think we can all benefit from doing regardless of what level we're at. Uh, but I think not just from, from myself, but also from how other people see me, um, there's kind of always a struggle between wanting to be this like mysterious, alluring person that you cultivate the image of online and also remembering that you're not that person and, and that you're a real person that, uh, and also that the person who's, um, perceiving you that way from what they know about you on the internet is not seeing your whole self. Not becoming the mask. Yes, yes, exactly. Thank you so much, Marcy. It was absolutely lovely to talk to you on the podcast today. If our listeners would like to know more about you, where can they find you on the internet? Uh, you can find me on Instagram at uh, Marceline, v Marceline underscore VQ. You can find me on Twitter at MarcyVQ12. Uh, and you can look at my website, uh, MarcelineVQ.com. Perfect. Thank you so much. Thank you. Great. Thanks. So that's all from us at the Rope Podcast. Don't forget to subscribe wherever you get your podcasts from. And also come friend us on our FetLife page, Rope Podcast. Follow us on Instagram, where our name is also Rope Podcast. If you have a question related to Rope, we'd love to answer it in one of our future episodes. Drop us a message on FetLife or Instagram. If you like this podcast and would enjoy more episodes, find all the ways to support us on our website, ropepodcast.com. In particular, please consider supporting us directly on our Patreon page. Thanks for listening. And have fun tying.